We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's roundup of the top news stories from around Taiwan over the past seven days. I'm Keith Menconi of ICRT News. By Skype today, we're joined by Che Tingye of U.S.-based but Taiwan-focused media group, Ketagalan Media. Uh, Ting, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. And also in studio with us today, we have ICRT Central Taiwan correspondent Donovan Smith and actually in studio. Uh, before this, it's only been over phone. So very glad to have you with us today, Donovan. Yeah, so it's great. You're no longer a disembodied voice. <laughs> you have a face now. <laughs> I, I, you do as well. You do as well. Uh, today in the show, we're going to be talking about the presidential campaign, which has taken a hard left turn into scandal politics. It was kind of already there, but now it's taken a, I guess we could call it a harder lefter turn into scandal politics. Taiwan's EPA minister uh, has made his voice heard at the ongoing climate talks in Paris, and ride-sharing app Uber has somehow made its way into front-page news as well this week. And we'll be talking about the government's campaign to chase them off the streets of Taiwan in the second half of the show. But first, we've got some late-breaking news to get to. I mean, well, it, it happened yesterday, but this is a once-a-week show, so late-breaking is kind of a relative term with us. Far Glory Land Development Chairman Chao Dengxiong has pleaded guilty to all charges in an ongoing bribery case. So, of course, uh, Far Glory has been sparring with the Kai administration in Taipei all year now uh, on controversies surrounding the Taipei Dome construction project. But these bribery charges are for another set of unrelated construction projects. In this case, uh, prosecutors allege that Chow bribed city government officials to speed up the construction timetable for public housing projects in New Taipei City's Linko District and Taoyuan's Bada District last year. So basically, long story short, we, uh, we were already into the appeals process of that case. Uh, some of the charges had been upheld, some had been dumped in the first round of the case, uh, and we were waiting. We were waiting for the verdict to be dealt out. It was expected next Friday. Uh, but before the judge had a chance to do that, uh, Chow came out yesterday and pled guilty to all charges, including some that he had been found innocent for uh, originally, or rather not guilty for. Uh, so it's a, a rather uh, dramatic turn of events, but let's uh, just back up real quick. Uh, Ting, so, so far I've kind of given the legalese uh, explanation for what's going on with this case. Uh, give us the why should we care about it? What, what, what's really going on here? Well, so as everybody knows, um, Taiwan is a island. It's not terribly big. Uh, there's a lot of people. It's very tight. So I think land has always been a very controversial issue in Taiwan. Now, the problem um, or the controversy with these um, affordable housing units is that the government, it's a government policy to supposedly create more affordable housing units, except the way that's been done is the government will eminent domain private land using sort of the state's power to uh, take away private land for public use then sell the land over to developers so then they can develop units and then sell to um, you know, supposedly low-income or uh, disadvantaged um, buyers. And so in, in all of this, there's a controversy over whether or not that is a use of, proper use of the state's power to take away private land. 
<clears throat> now, you can um, understand why this is very lucrative for developers, right? Because land that's uh, or otherwise very difficult for the private developers to get their whole uh, get their hands on now is very easy because the government just basically do that job for them. So you can see why there's um, a reason why developers would want to sort of get in on on the deals. What you know why they would go to um, you know resort to bribery or other types of um, sort of extra legal means to get their hands on them on these kind of projects. So kind of greasing the the, the wheels of uh, public private projects like that and and, and getting their way into this, these very lucrative uh, developments. Um, now, as as I mentioned, uh, there are some kind of echoes here, a, a little bit of an echo of what has been going on uh, with the Taipei Dome project this year. Some allegations of shady dealings there as well. Uh, Donovan, do you, do you see any connection there? Is this going to have any ramifications for that controversy? Well, it could well. I mean, I, I but I really don't know. I mean, he, he didn't uh, plead guilty to anything on that particular, uh, on that particular uh, case. So we'll see. Do you think Cohen Ja is uh, dancing a jig this morning? I mean, oh, this, yeah. it, he's certainly playing from a <laughs> playing from a stronger hand at this point. <laughs> oh, definitely. But I mean, there's a few things that jump out about this case here. Just reading here from the uh, the China Post. Yet at an at an appeal hearing, he suddenly admitted guilt to a previously acquitted case on a military deve- dwelling development project uh, in Shinju, as well as other corruption cases. Now, a few things that jump out. There's a f- that one. First of all, he was previously acquitted, so why did he why did he plead guilty to that? That's a little bit weird. Number two, we have a military develop, dwelling pr- development project, which has obviously been in the news a lot recently, uh, obviously with Jenny Wong. Um, <clears throat> so there seems to be a pattern developing around military dwellings and, and those kinds of projects. Another thing that jumps out is that the three areas where, this, where, where he admitted to uh, corruption were Shinju, Taoyuan, and New Taipei, two of which were recently run by uh, Eric Chu. Um, so... Is this going to draw attention away from Jenny Wong and back onto him uh, or not? Um, Well, I think anything that connects Jenny Wong's dealings to Far Glory Group is probably not good for her. No, but here's the thing. This was a new military development project where she was dealing with old ones. Mm. So – but these two are – two of these, it looks like, happened – uh, by officials under uh, Eric Chu. So uh, is there going to be blowback on him? Although there was just uh, just a week or so ago, there was a, his ex-vice mayor just got uh, indicted for corruption, I believe. So there seems to be a pattern developing of officials under Eric Chu with, with corruption. Another thing that's very interesting about this is it's all North Taiwan. You don't see anything south of Shinju on this. And for, as, far, as far as I can tell, Far Glory doesn't operate much south of uh, Shinju. Mm. All right, so maybe uh, reflects poorly on the uh, administrations north of the Mason-Dixon, so to speak, (laughs) if uh, Taiwan had a Mason-Dixon. Okay, well, uh, like I said, the story is still kind of developing. We're going to see what more comes out of it. Maybe there will be more to talk about next week. But for now, uh, we're going to move on to our politics segment for the week. And once again, the focus of this week was not on a policy dispute uh, or some campaign issues or not really even over gaffes. Instead... We were talking all week about real estate deals. Uh, Of course, we've been talking about KMT vice presidential candidate Jennifer Wong's real estate deals for some time now. Allegations have been swirling that her purchase and sale of military housing 
constituted real estate speculation and, uh, more importantly, violated regulations controlling who could own those properties. Uh, So this week, she responded by pledging to donate the profits from the deals. Uh, And in a little bit more fallout from all this, her husband has resigned as head of the Judicial Yuan's Department of Government Ethics. Uh, So it's been kind of a rough week for Jennifer Wong. Uh, But now, some KMT lawmakers are punching back with their own real estate-related allegation. Now in the crosshairs is DPP head Tsai Ing-wen, who these KMT lawmakers say likely made an estimated 180 million NT in profits from uh, what they're calling land speculation back in the late 90s. Uh, So I just want to start with kind of a broad question, and you guys can take this however you want. I mean... We, it seems like in every election cycle in Taiwan, there is some form of these disputes about corruption or about some kind of shady dealings. And my sense is that these things all just kind of mix out in the wash. By the time voters are showing up uh, at the election, at the polling booths, you know, these are not the things that are going to be weighing in uh, on their minds. They've already formed their opinions about these parties. They've already formed their opinions about these candidates. And so adding these uh, charges to the mix doesn't really change the shape of the election that much. Am I am I totally off base here? T- tell, tell me why I'm wrong to think that, Donovan. Uh, no, I, I think I think you're basically right. Although in this case, the the Jenny Wong situation is a little bit different. I mean, last time we had the Sujatian, you know, with his farmhouse in the last election, um, and this time they're like last night. I you know I kicked back with with a few drinks and uh, watched the, the 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 pundits on the talk shows, and they're going on about you know eat the empire. She you know she made all this money and Ooh, you a know. romantic Thursday evening you had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was in Taipei, you know. There you go. Um, and you know, and then of course, you know, the DPP who shot back, you know, Eric Chu also did lots of speculation. Now, the thing is that with the Eric Chu speculation is, is, is and the Tsai Ing-wen speculations, of course, they made money speculating. Um, but it seemed to be largely family related. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty much above board, more or less. Right. Whereas the Jenny Wong case... There's definitely kind of it's not exact. It was not technically illegal, but it was really bending the rules, and it looked like she had inside contacts. And so that's kind of a, a, a long-running sore spot in Taiwan is people using their influence to get nice stuff. Right, and to a certain degree, that's true of all three of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in the, in the Jenny Wong case, it, it's it comes across as particularly egregious, considering she champ she. she Bills herself as a champion of, you know, workers and women's rights. Right. She has that track record uh, with the Ministry of Labor. Uh, Ting, uh, do, you, do you see the same things here or do you see something else? Um, I think in terms of election, it really depends on sort of a pattern that you're, you're building, right? So um, I think with, uh, for example, we really haven't talked about James Sung at all, but um, when he first ran for president in 2000, I think there's, you know, the, there's this whole campaign to sort of paint him as, okay, there is a you know, controversy over his properties in the U.S., there is, you know, other corruption allegations. Yeah, I think the Qingxing Bills case. For, it, it's, it's less about, okay, are you, are you convicted uh, or are you guilty of this particular instance of corruption? But I think it's just a, um, a perception that people have. Is, are, is, are the KMT or the DPP just more corrupt as a group or as a um, organization or as a culture almost. And, and, and I think 
this is why um, the attacks against uh, Tsai Ing-wen these days is not ringing nearly as much as the you know the allegations that um, Jennifer Wong is uh, facing. I think the KMT is going to take a hit on this and has have been. But they can't they can't lose the presidential campaign more. You yes, they have been. <laughs> actually, Julie Lewin's actually been dropping even further in the mm. polls as a result of ever since he brought Jenny Wong on board, he's he's dropped in the polls. Do you think it hurts the legislative races as well, just because it uh, shapes the perception of the parties uh, even further? That's a little bit, that's speculative, but I, I, if I had to guess, I'd say yeah, a little bit, yeah. All right. Well, uh, time will tell, and uh, the numbers will be there to bear this out in just a couple of months. It's uh, really coming up soon. But last up for the first half of this show, we're going to have to move on to our final story for this first half. Big climate talks going on in Paris. It's entirely possible that by the time this show airs, the so-called Conference of the Parties to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change bit of a mouthful there, but it's entirely possible that those talks will have already produced some kind of an agreement. Uh, So this is obviously a big year in climate negotiations uh, for the entire world. This year's talks are special for Taiwan in particular, in that it's the first time that an environmental protection agency head has been in attendance. Uh, So this whole week, Minister Wei Kua Yen, head of the EPA, has been over there with a fairly large delegation, 50 folks, I believe, is with him. Uh, And even though he has no official status at the talks, he has done his best to make his presence felt. He's used the occasion to call on the UN to uh, be inclusive of all political entities in the fight against climate change. Specifically, he said Taiwan's exclusion from such proceedings uh, really do need to end given its own efforts to fight climate change. So, Donovan, he's been making a couple of points this week. Uh, what has stood out to you? <laughs> well, the the thing that really jumped out at me is basically he's he first of all he has no standing, and so nobody's actually going to listen to him except the local press here. But his major point uh, to the UN that uh, that Taiwan, you know, that we should be more people should pay more attention to us is because we're a major emitter of carbon dioxide. It says here, although small, Taiwan is a major emitter in the eyes of the International Energy Agency, but in the eyes of the world, we are always seen by choice or not seen at all, Wei said. So basically, that would be the same thing as saying, hey guys, we're part of the problem too. You need to pay attention to us. (laughs) Exactly. We're emitting too. (laughs) We're big emitters. Now you've got to pay attention (laughs) to us because we emit big. (laughs) Uh, now, Taiwan, he did, uh, this minister, he did put forward uh, a proposal that he termed the Pan-Pacific Adaptation on Climate Change, basically an initiative that he says would help the region deal with the effects of, effects of climate change. Um, to me, this kind of has echoes of Ma ying uh East China Sea Peace Initiative in that, you know, you kind of roll it out to uh, international yawns. Uh, but uh, maybe, Ting, uh, give you a chance. I mean, do you see a little bit more significance here than we're making it out to be? Um, I mean, I think, unfortunately, I don't. Um, I mean, I am all for Taiwan participating internationally, and I do think um, I, I do think it's admirable for Taiwan to assume the, the stance that if we were invited or if we were participating fully, this is what we would do and we'll show people this is what we'll do. Um, I, think that's, I think that's overall a good strategy going forward. Um, of course, unfortunately, it's uh, up to everybody else to kind of pay attention. And uh, in this case, I mean, I, I think with the, 
with the summit, you know, with the climate summit, it's almost, you know, the, the big nations, right? So the big emitters, you know, we, everyone's watching to see what India, China, the U.S. do. And Taiwan, you know, as much as the, uh, the minister says Taiwan's emitting, you know, it's just not significant enough for people to turn their head. Yeah, well, uh, the talks are ongoing, so uh, we're going to have to see what comes out of it. Uh, if Gavin were here, I'm sure that he would make a point of uh, pointing out that uh, there's a decent chance that nothing's going to come out of it. So it really, one way or the other, uh, Taiwan's uh, role doesn't really matter that much anyway. But since we're far less cynical people than Gavin, we will leave that point unmade. <laughs> we will leave that well, point unmade. I do, I do think Jieting's right in the sense that Taiwan is pursuing a good strategy of, of being – of, of touting itself as a good global citizen and a team player. And I, I do think that there's in certain quarters that will be re- well received. All right. Well, uh, we will have to leave that story for there. Uh, and in fact, that's the end for the first half of the show. When we come back, uh, we're going to take an Uber ride right to criminal prosecution town. And we'll discuss an upcoming march that's going to highlight problems faced by migrant domestic workers here in Taiwan. That's all coming up after this. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, ICRT's weekly roundup of news from around the island. I'm Keith Manconi, joined by Donovan Smith and Che Tingye. We've finally got a tech story for the show. Uh, it's kind of crazy that we've gone this long without one, but uh, today we will be talking about Uber. That is the ride-sharing app that's taken over the whole entire world. Here in Taiwan, though, uh, it's meeting with stiff resistance from government regulators. Highway authorities have imposed 35 million NT in fines on Uber so far this year, and another 11.5 million in fines on its drivers. Uh, Some of those fines are actually uh, being held up right now in court. Uh, They were contested by Uber, and a judge actually ruled on somewhat procedural grounds uh, that Uber had a good point. So now it's not entirely clear whether or not Uber is going to have to pay those fines, but the government is uh, still kind of fighting it out in the legal realm. Uh, But while that whole end of things is going on, uh, the government this week kind of upped the ante. Uh, The Ministry of Transportation and Communications announced that it is planning to press criminal charges against the company. So they're not just out for fines anymore. They are out for criminal prosecution of Uber. Uh, So just very briefly for anybody who hasn't been following this case, kind of the legal question here is... Is Uber a taxi service? In which case, if it's a taxi service, it needs to get uh, licenses to operate taxis here in Taiwan. Or uh, the other way to look at it is, is it an information service? In which case it falls under uh, a whole different set of regulations. So the government is saying, no, it's a taxi service. Obviously, they are providing taxi rides. uh, And the fact that they don't have these permits means that they're violating the the laws. That's obvious. The, The court not exactly seeing eye to eye with regulators on this one. So we'll have to wait uh, to see how that legal fight kind of plays out. Um, But as this goes on, I mean, a lot of commentators are saying that the government is just following the completely wrong strategy here. Rather than uh, try to prosecute Uber out of existence in Taiwan, you know, this kind of thing is inevitable. This kind of tech startup gaining ground in Taiwan is inevitable. It would make more sense to legalize it, tax it, and uh, integrate it into the transportation services in Taiwan. 
Of course, uh, the government is, you know, very concerned about it, the domestic taxi industry. Don't want to see that get impacted negatively. Uh, Ting, what, what do you make of this kind of dilemma that the government is in? Uh, well, so being from the town that Uber started, um, I, I mean, I think this is the same story or similar story that governments all over the world, as you mentioned, are dealing with, right? Um, <clears throat> even the government here in San Francisco um, has issues with Uber and other sort of such ride-sharing programs or because the taxi drivers are complaining about them uh, having to go through all these regulatory hoops just to, you know, make a living off of driving taxis while you have uh, Uber drivers who are, you know, not subject to the same kind of regulations. You know, you, you, hear, you hear stories about customers uh, who have um, either been robbed or there's uh, been other sort of criminal activity with a... Uh, you know, sort of shady Uber drivers. But I, I think I think what it is is that, um, <clears throat> I mean, personally, I don't quite like the Uber model because, um, I mean, I just, I mean, I, I, I am totally down with people who drive Uber. Um, you know, my family had to do that uh, when they first come, came to the States. But um, what I do have a problem with is um, sort of Uber, the company, um kind of profiting off of, you know, just the, the very simple information sharing and then providing the service and then, you know, claiming that they don't provide the service, right? Really, I, I, I don't think there's any of the management at Uber who really think that, um, you know, they are just an information company, you know. So I I do think it's a slightly disingenuous there for them to say, okay, we're just not going to regulate our drivers in the same way. Uh but Donovan, I mean, in, in a sense, isn't it just sort of inevitable that a company like Uber is uh, going to get a toehold in Taiwan? I mean, uh, regulating out of existence, is that really the answer? Well, I mean, right now, the part that, that, that upsets me, I think, is that the, the, the director general of highways is trying to turn these people into criminals. And that's really quite upsetting, really. I mean, it's, you know, it's if they really want to, obviously, the court has shot them down. So if they really want to deal with this, what they should be doing is talking to the legislature about, you know, coming up with either, either you know, different way of regulating it or direct changing the laws. But what they're doing is they're consulting with their lawyers here. I'm reading from this here on a plan to stop Uber's allegedly illegal operations by means of the criminal code under which it is illegal to, quote, induce people into committing crimes. These people are not criminals. People who drive for Uber are not criminals. They're, you know, they, they had, so they, this is really the wrong way to go about it. Uh, Ting, you were about to say? So I also do think that on the other side, laws and regulations in Taiwan are uh, terribly equipped to handle sort of this new um, wave of what we call, you know, what the media calls a sharing economy, right? So today it's people, you know, Uber claiming that we're just hooking you up with people who also drive cars so you can get a, you know, ride with them, right? So in, you know, you can imagine there are apps and services now where you can have people, you know, laundry together you can have people who share food you can have people who share um you know for example airbnb right so i think there's um a lot of i think there's a very big challenge ahead for taiwan's economy and society as a whole to think about okay how do we not how do we regulate them in a way that makes sense for the new sort of paradigm economy right whereas the old laws you know because as donovan said I, i don't think the right answer is to um, first of all, like the drivers who are, you know, most of them, I'm sure, is just, you know, out to make an honest living or to, you know, make an honest sort of a, 
you know, extra from extra cash driving, you know, the cars around. But, um, you know, I, I think there is, there has to be some way for the, the, the economy and society in Taiwan as a whole to say, okay, let's think of some ways where we can regulate them. And, um, but, you know, we got to think about how they're different from how we know what has already, what's, uh, you know, in existence. And how I to think bring them into the, the fold. Mm. Um, yeah, I think this is the beginning because, you know, just being in the Bay Area, you know, I, there, there are going to be other sharing services that's going to be coming to Taiwan very soon. Right. Airbnb is already causing controversy here now. Wait, it's a, right. Airbnb uh, they, it has been announced as illegal here yes. now that we bring that up. So they, if you are a proprietor of an Airbnb establishment or, or if you're renting out your space with Airbnb, you are subject to fines as well here in Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, right. So, I mean, these, these are a set of questions. I mean, we, we really shouldn't single out Taiwan's government. These are a set of questions that are facing governments around the world. Uh, France, as well, has uh, had some wrangling with this. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see going forward uh, how Taiwan decides to deal with it and whether or not it continues the current policy, which maybe I'm wrong, maybe somebody can show me more nuance here, but seems to be to find them and litigate uber out of existence which seems to me like something of a blunt instrument but uh maybe we can get somebody on the program to uh argue advocate for that uh sort of approach uh, on another day perhaps uh but last up we're gonna have to move on to our last story and we're just gonna hit this one real fast because uh taken up so much time on all those other good stories uh but this is one that we've actually talked about before um, and this is the way that migrant domestic workers are treated in Taiwan. Uh, there's actually going to be a march later um, this Sunday in Taipei, kind of to highlight the treatment of these workers and also uh, to highlight uh, the situation of all people involved in long-term care in Taiwan. Of course, there's an ever-growing number of senior citizens that uh, do need additional care provided to them. It's in the hundreds of thousands at this point. Um, and so it's not just a question of how uh, the workers are being treated. It's also a question of how uh, the elderly are being treated within uh, this system. So they have announced uh, this march. Uh, this is a march that happens once every two years uh, to kind of highlight this set of issues. Uh, Donovan, organizers this time around, though, uh, have released a set of uh, demands that they're going to be pressing for. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they're saying, you know, we're workers, not slaves, and it's criticized the Taiwanese government saying it's, all quote, always blind when it comes to issues related to migrant workers. Now here, uh, reading from the NewsLens report, which says the UDN reports, the migrant workers groups have put forward forward four appeals, uh, and then they list five. Um, abolishing private agency systems, emphasizing a nation-to-nation direct hiring procedure, stressing migrant workers' right to change their employers, canceling the cutoff point of their working year, and repealing the provision that requires migrant workers to leave Taiwan for one day after the expiration of three-year contracts to avoid exploitation from agents. Right. So there's Quite a bit to unpack there, uh, actually. I've, I've spoken to a number of campaigners who have worked on these issues, and uh, each one of those uh, issues that they're, that they're kind of raising right there is a real bone of contention between uh, migrant workers and the government. Uh, quite big disputes. I'll, I'll, I'll just single out one, the whole issue of the broker system 
uh, is seen as a as a real source of abuse. Uh, the current system is that these migrant workers uh, need to hire a broker to get them over to Taiwan. They pay a big broker fee. Uh, these are private companies, more or less. Uh, and the fees are, are, are such that uh, quite often they get put into debt. And so a, a big part of their pay for the first several years that they're in Taiwan ends up going to uh, brokers rather than uh, to... Uh, their family or to themselves, which is you know what they were hoping for in the first place. So yeah. these workers see this as a, a significant source of exploitation. It is. It's exploitative, and it's it's almost like human trafficking. It's a little. It's creepy in a way. Yeah. I mean, and it's a totally unnecessary. I mean, in the age of the internet, people can you know sign up on you know they could easily just have a website for hooking people up. I mean, right, and that's what know. they're call- kind of calling for is a, a system that's a little bit more organized by the government and a little bit more stacked in their favor. Yeah. Right, and uh, Ting. So this is obviously. Uh, a, a set of issues that we've discussed a number of times on this show. Um, you know, this particular event is just uh, once again highlighting a set of issues that you know we really d- 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 legitimately deserves more of our deten- uh, attention here in Taiwan because it's, it's, it's quite important. Uh, but do you see any movement going on here? Are, are, are there any real changes or reforms going on in Taiwan right now? Unfortunately, I don't think so. And I think what is interesting is that. This is not a campaign issue. This has not been a campaign issue at all. I mean, we're talking about quite possibly the largest um, election in national election in Taiwan, right? And, you know, such a longstanding systematic um, issue where I think most people would agree needs a lot of change. Just not mentioned by the candidates at all. So, um yeah, and I think the the you know possible the possible explanation that I can come up with is just that these workers don't have votes, and that's kind of the unfortunate truth in uh, the situation right now. Right. Well, they don't have a vote, and uh, obviously the, the the families that are hiring these workers, uh, many of them, you know, they're not affluent families necessarily; they're middle or lower class even, um, and so they see that anything that would shake this system up that really hits their bottom line. You know, they they spend a significant amount of their money caring for their elderly relatives. And so they see uh, any potential change to this system as, as something that could really threaten their economic well-being. So this is this is something that is, you know, legitimately quite difficult for Taiwan's politicians to deal with. Yeah, although I think actually with most of what the, but most of these, if you take a look at these five demands, that actually mostly, mostly has to do with the bureaucracy around the, around it, not so much about, the, about their treatment, uh, you know, in the, in the homes, homes. yeah, right. it's not so much they seem to. It's not so much that they seem to be complaining about that, although that's a, that's a, an important issue in, in and of itself. But these five demands are clearly about the the way that the system operates, and it's a lot of it's just unnecessary red tape, and it benefits people who for little to no purpose. All right. Well, uh, we will leave it on that point. Uh, that is our last story for today, so uh, we're going to have to close it out there. You can send us your thoughts on the week's major stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find this program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. All right, well, we're going to have to leave it on that point for today and move on for our podcast listeners to our final story of the day. Uh, This is the bit where we do... Uh, we're calling it our other news. We just serve up some of the a uh, little bit off kilter, a little bit off the beaten track sort of news that comes out of Taiwan. Uh, this week, we have got a, a man who is far too enthusiastic about his book collections. Uh, a man suspected of stealing books throughout Taiwan for more than seven years and reselling them online was arrested Monday. 
Uh, so it looks like something uh, of a reselling business, actually.、Uh, police said Sha Wencha set up an online store in which he was selling popular titles at up to a forty percent discount.、Uh, so you know, if you were in the market for books, you could find such bestsellers as The Book Thief, Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, lots of great literature that he had on offer there. Apparently, he was making a pretty penny off this too. Uh, uh, he is reported to have made a hundred thousand NT a month. So you know, I guess there's still money in books somewhere. Apparently, police had been、uh, tailing him for about six weeks、uh, after a Jai bookstore discovered that Xiao had entered the premises three times、uh, the same day,、uh, and that about sixty books had been stolen. So I guess、uh, moral of the story is if you're gonna hit up the same bookstore, don't go three times in the same day.、Uh, that that'll always raise some red flags.、Uh, so you know, I guess we should be outraged that he's stealing books and uh, uh, selling them online, profiting for them. But at least you know he's promoting reading.、Uh, there's that to be said for him, right? I'm surprised you didn't go for the obvious puns. The Leamana, Leam. You can <laughs>、so、make up for my shortcomings. So the police booked him on Monday, and the prosecutor's going to throw the book at him. <laughs> <sighs> See, that's why we. You can make up for my obvious shortcomings. Thank you. Throw the book at him,、uh, Ting. Do you, do you do you have any puns for us? Do you have any in the works? No, but、uh, no, I've been thinking right because hey, you know, this is, we're talking about how backwards Taiwan, you know, digital like how Taiwan's society and law and legal system is. Don't prepare for the new digital economy, right?、Um, I mean, if everybody is reading books off of their phones and tablets, no, this would never have happened. This is this is true. It wouldn't have been nearly as lucrative. I, I, I got a couple. Okay,、uh, at, at least he has some spine. He didn't even try to use any cover. Is that, is that redeem me at all? At all? Very much so.、Okay. Very well.、Done. All right. Uh, so now, now that all of our listeners have turned off the podcast because、uh, they're tired of our nonsense, now we will end out the show. Well, actually, one thing I would like to okay, add. Actually, okay. This is one of the things I love about Taiwan is that、uh, you know, obviously, I do the Central Taiwan News, and there's just constantly, like every week, there are these news stories about, and this is just such a, it's it's what I consider very Taiwanese crime.、Mm. It, it's things like somebody will steal like. A you know a, a somebody's like you know chicken cutlet cart, drag it like you know a, a kilometer away and start selling chicken cutlets. You know it's this kinds of crime where people will like steal stuff to do business. It, it's it's a real common sort of thing here. Very entrepreneurial criminal that we <laughs> have. Entrepreneurial criminals. I mean, then essentially this is what Uber is doing as well. <laughs> oh man! Okay, you 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 really are out for blood for the whole Uber thing. Okay, isn't that just what Uber's、okay. doing? I have friends who work at Uber. You know, they're great. Uber drivers, they're great.、Um, you know, as I said, my family had to drive taxis.、So. Some of so my、I'm, best friends work at Uber. I swear, I'm not bigoted <laughs> against Uber. Oh no! All right, all right. Management, no. <laughs> okay, we really do have to leave it there.、Uh, I'm probably only speaking to like two or three people at this point.、Uh, I'm sure everybody's turned it off. So, so 
Anyway, to round out the show, you can send us your thoughts on the week's major stories on the Facebook page or on our blog. You'll also be able to find this program online at the ICRT website and on iTunes. So if you are listening through iTunes, please take a second to rate and review the show. Let's us know what you're thinking and helps other people discover the program. Signing off from the ICRT studio, I'm Keith Menconi, joined by Donovan Smith. Thank you, Donovan. Hey, thanks, Keith. And Chay Ting Ye. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. See you again next time on Taiwan This Week. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8.30 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.